Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design with RMIT University. And I'm here with Antonia Sign. She's director of the Australian Tapestry Workshop. Good morning, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. So tapestries are really, you know, they're really big in the 60s and 70s, uh, Antonia. Uh, obviously, they've been with us for many, many years and in Europe for centuries, but they kind of really um, started becoming more of a talking point more recently, 60s and 70s tapestries. Tell me a little bit about your position and how tapestries have evolved. And I'm interested in everything and everything. So, um, well, well, I must say that we're delighted that tapestry um, has become much more exciting for people uh, over the years. They, you know, I'm old enough to know to have seen um, so many cycles in. Um, in art and architecture so it's fascinating to see that there is now an increasing interest in uh, textile and fibre arts in particular and a rediscovery of tapestry we were I was really hoping it would happen in my lifetime at the Australian Tapestry Workshop and it certainly has and we've been doing our utmost to make tapestry more accessible to people but it, it is really exciting because we don't have the long history of tapestry that Europeans do, and in some cases, Americans. Uh, so really, uh, the pioneering work that was done by the founding director of the, the Victorian Tapestry Workshop, now the Australian Tapestry Workshop by Sue Walker and all her fabulous team, um, is really starting to slowly be recognised. Uh, and we have so many really important tapestries in major sites around Australia and overseas. So, yeah, it's very exciting for us to be. I mean, it, it tends, I imagine, um, Antonio, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it, tapestry seems to be going in waves. I mean, they were quite big in the 20s, 30s, kind of disappeared for a while, come back in, you know, not so much in the 50s, but in the 60s really roared with people like Mona Hessing, uh, you know, wonderful tapestries. Why was it so important in the, say, 60s and 70s? What happened with that rebirth? And was there anyone that you can kind of finger point as to, you know, starting off that that trend again? Well, I think there were, there were a, a number of people doing it um, in Europe uh, and uh, the Dovecot Studios had an um, inspirational director called... Uh, Archie Brennan, who was very, very focused on tapestry weavers being artists in their own right and recognised as such, and that any designers they worked with, uh, they worked in a very collaborative manner rather than just uh, trans straight, straight translation of a design. It was very much a collaborative process where everybody brought their talents to the table and um, the resultant design was uh, an incorporation of all those skills. So Archie's work was recognised around the world and Archie was brought out here to advise on the feasibility of a tapestry workshop starting in Australia. There were some visionary people, Lady Delicum, who was wife of the then Governor of Victoria and Lady Murdoch, as she was then. Uh, then she became Dame Elizabeth Murdoch people like um, Bailey Meyer and others who were very keen to explore the idea of a tapestry workshop being in Australia. There'd been some very influential exhibitions at the National Gallery in Victoria showing contemporary tapestries and uh, this started 
some thinking, some very serious thinking about why couldn't we do tapestry in Australia? We have a very rich wool industry and we've got a great creative sector. That, you know, we've got all the talent here. Why not set one up in Australia? And we were set up. Uh, we were set up in 1976 and the 70s was a, an absolute blooming for the arts in Australia. So many extraordinary organisations were set up uh, in Australia in that period and I think that sort of dynamism has gone on. So uh, I, think, I think that energy and the creative thinking and the vision that was around in the 60s and 70s uh, was really extraordinary. Australia Council was set up then. There's so, so many rich uh, cultural organisations that were set up and I think... Uh, we benefited from that and there was a lot of funding in the arts then. There was a recognition of how important the arts were in the Australian, uh, in the Australian, for, the, for, for, for all Australians and uh, the accessibility of the arts for all Australians. I think in many ways uh, it would be lovely to see that momentum uh, found again by collective governments around Australia. Uh, certainly, certainly uh, I think our Victorian government has worked very hard to keep uh, the arts sector uh, afloat during uh, COVID uh, because the arts were particularly badly hit. Um, but I think nationally it would be lovely to see a, a recommitment to the arts in such a way as we did in the um, 60s, 70s and 80s. Um, Antonia, I don't think people realise how much work goes into a tapestry. Uh, I was fortunate to go to the workshop, Australian Tapestry Workshop, many years ago, and I still remember seeing a row of um, young, predominantly women, uh, weaving. I mean, I thought it was extraordinary. Do people really get appreciate the work that goes into, you know, and the number of people and the hours that it takes to produce something like a tapestry? Look, I don't think a lot of people do, Stephen, uh, which is why we think it is very important to explain the process of tapestry because we're, we're constantly, uh, really are almost on a daily basis, we're being con we are constantly confused with uh, needlework, for example. People will say, my mother did needlework or uh, embroidery. Uh, so we, we, have to we have to explain the process of the tapestry, which is one of the reasons uh, we've started filming the making of the tapestry so we can pop uh, little DVDs of our tapestries being woven on the website so that we, that we um, are engaging the people with the process because our extraordinary weavers actually do every single part of the tapestry weaving process. And this is from um, warping up the looms and this, this is an extraordinarily simple but complex move, uh, process which is extraordinary to watch to making the cartoons, to do all the experimental samples, uh, to, um, to weaving the tapestry, then cutting it off, finishing it off, making the hanging systems and so on. So it's an extraordinary elaborate process. There's probably one of our best known tapestries is the beautiful and enormous Arthur Boyd tapestry in Parliament House in Canberra. And that took, uh, that took, 22,000 hours to make, I think, all up. And it took two years and 11, 11 or 12 weavers working on that project. It was absolutely enormous. It was so enormous, it was considered unsafe to actually make it and install it in one piece. 
so it was actually made in four different sections and all hung separately, which means that you can actually take them down and clean them on a regular basis quite safely. But it's, it's an enormous scale. And I think uh, this increased interest in the handmade and the bespoke uh, is, is of interest to people and people are now realising just how long and how intricate uh, the whole process is. And with our, with our tapestries, the extraordinary level of skill that the weavers have and that bring to the tapestry making. It's quite extraordinary. And Stephen, I ask, I invite you to come back again and have a look at the work that we're doing currently. A um, couple of questions, Antonia. One is, how difficult is it to find weavers with the experience to really put together these amazing works? Because I imagine, you know, it's not attracting a young group of people, you know, young people looking for a direction in, in life. Look, it's a very specialist art form and uh, until we build up a great demand for tapestry, it's, it's going to be a very, very niche career. Uh, what, uh, originally the tapestry workshop had to train, all, uh, train artists in the, in the skills of tapestry weaving and then Monash University actually had a degree course where you could major in tapestry weaving. So we were getting a number of our fabulous young weavers uh, uh, from the, the, Mon the Monash tapestry degree course and then giving them further training. Now, Monash no longer offers that course. And so what we've had to do is go back to looking at um, training weavers. And we've got... In-house. 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 And... and We've now bought, with everybody's input as to what worked and didn't work in their own training, uh, we've, we've actually assembled a program, a flexible program that takes into account the skills of uh, the people that we're working with, uh, a flexible program that they can really develop all the skills that they are going to need in the future. And it's a time too where they can really experiment and really push the boundaries in a way that you can't really doing if you're working on a very specific project. What, um, Antonia, what are the skills someone would really need to make them an okay weaver or a great weaver? Like, what do you need? I mean, you obviously need great eyesight and, and patience. I mean, I'd be shocking. Um, but what, what do you actually need that isn't perhaps tangible? Uh, well, you need, obviously, a wonderful sense of colour, of composition. Um, drawing is a great skill uh, to bring to, to tapestry weaving. You actually need to be fit. It's, it's very, very physical. Working at a loom and weaving and beating down the, uh, the thread on, you know, for seven to eight hours a day is, is very, uh, very tough on the body. So people are very aware of all those occupational health and safety issues associated with that. You need to be really collaborative. Uh, you need to be working uh, with your partners um, on the loom at all times, uh, talking about what you're doing and, and how you're doing it and, it and working very much as a team because you might all be highly, highly skilled, but what you're wanting to do is to bring the vision of the artist to the tapestry. Uh, so it, it's, a, it's a, a shared vision rather than recognising different weavers uh, areas of weaving within the tapestry, if that makes sense. Yeah, so that's a really big call. 
Uh, and um, it is the most extraordinary workplace in that sense. It's the most collaborative workplace I've ever worked in. They, they are very, very close-knit and um, we, and they operate very, uh, very well as a team and supporting uh, each other in, in skills. So someone might be better at, at faces, for example, and uh, other people might be better at cross-hatching and so on. So they all work to train each other in developing various, uh, their various skills in, in various levels. Now, Antonia, you've uh, obviously worked with, uh, the workshops worked with a number of leading artists, people like John Olson, uh, who's a wonderful painter. How does that process work? You know, do they approach you and say, look, we've got a painting we'd like to make into a tapestry or do you reach out to them? I mean, who are the artists that really resonate with, with you? Well, it, well we, want to, we want to be able to work with artists, designers and architects as broadly as we possible, possibly can. Uh, the, the way that happens um, is, is many and varied. We'll have uh, people that will approach us. They want a tapestry by John Olson and we had this happen reasonably recently. And, and I must say we have done a number of tapestries with John over the years. Uh, and uh, because, because we've worked so closely with John and there's an enormous degree of trust um, built up, John will, can do um, a pretty simple, uh, quite, uh, quite rough sketch or watercolour and present it to the weavers and say, off you go, I know what you can do, you take this and see where you can take it. And so we'll do, for, uh, we'll do a number of exploratory samples where every single weaver will work on sampling and looking how, as, as to how they would interpret um, the various watercolour marks or whatever. And then that's all brought back into the pool and everyone, including the artist, discusses which way they all think is the best way forward to recognise that, um, that artistic vision. Uh, you know, and it's the same with working with people like John Wardle uh, on the first Tapestry Design Prize. You know, he... He actually uh, had some ideas about tapestry, and he says uh, he says luckily he didn't know enough about tapestry. Uh, and where and where he, is that going, Antonia? Where was that? Uh, it, it, that was commissioned by a private uh, private collector in Sydney. Uh, so uh, that and that was a, a, a marvelous tapestry because he saw it as all being about light and form, uh, and the weavers. Again, because they're bringing another set of skills, observation skills to it, uh, actually saw a pixelation in his design um, that he, they hadn't quite picked up and they brought that interpretation of the pixelation to the tapestry, which made it a much richer end product for the tapestry, so to speak. So it was a really exciting collaboration, just looking at what all parties um, bought for that so collaborative that process. Antonia, how does it work? Like, just say for John Wardle, for instance, the house he's, um, he's uh, commissioned you to do a tapestry for in Sydney. Does he bring, you know, does the client see the samples and say, look, I want this or I want that or I want more of this colour in it or I want more texture? Or then it becomes too complicated and you say, no, look, I'll just deal with John. And, you know, because it, it's very, you know, I imagine it could open up a can of worms when you start uh, well, giving people the ability to comment well we, it, it's a much richer process if everyone can feel involved if everyone can um have their input 
and and that you arrive at a uh, an, at an endpoint, at a decision um, that everyone feels a part of. And and what's more, we absolutely encourage the uh, the clients and the uh, designers, architects to come in at a regular stage all the way along the process so that they can actually be part of the making process. And in fact, we did, a, I remember we did a wonderful tapestry for the Royal Children's Hospital with Robert Ingpen. And uh, Robert would pop in on a regular basis. Uh, and the tapestry just show, it showed, uh, showed a number of children playing in a schoolyard. And they were playing all those games that uh, we could remember from our childhood and our older visitors in their 80s could remember from their childhood, uh, like, you know, hopscotch and elastics and football and, uh, and uh, skippy and all those games. And then he, you know, he had someone doing a video game and skateboards and so on. And one of the weavers just made a throwaway comment to John, to Robert saying, they should have a teddy bear in there. There isn't a teddy bear. Well, a week later, he came back with a little cartoon of a teddy bear and we incorporated the teddy bear into the uh, design. So that sort of collaboration is wonderful. It's really beautiful. And, and another, another way of that, how rich that ongoing collaboration is, we did a, a beautiful tapestry with uh, John, uh, John Wolseley and it was, he'd done these beautiful uh, butterflies in, in this lovely Grampians landscape. And halfway through the tapestry, he realised that he'd, um, uh, he'd got, he hadn't got uh, the local moths right. So we had, to, we had to do a little tweak at the end and, and redesign the moths so they were actual local species, which was, which was magic. That, that sort of collaboration and that um, enriching exchange is wonderful. Um, Antonia, do you tend to use all Australian uh, materials, wool, or do you import, you have to import the finer materials? How does that work? Well, we used to have a really rich textile industry in Australia, which unfortunately uh, has largely gone overseas these days. So while we used to be able to acquire our warp thread in Australia, we no longer can. Uh, so we actually get, uh, we import a Scandinavian cotton warp, uh, but we have got a wonderful supplier of our wool so that we get the wool from Geelong and the wool, the wool producer can guarantee that the wool comes from Australian producers that can track the wool back to the Australian producers and it's all, all about sustainable farming practices and humane animal practices, all of which we want to be closely associated with. So we're, we're very proud to be working with Australian wool. Unfortunately, now no longer the entire process happens here, but now, uh, part of the process um, is, occurs in China and then is brought back to Australia. So it's a pity that we now no longer have all those skills here in Australia. And I think COVID actually brought that home, how much how much we have lost by outsourcing to overseas suppliers and how vulnerable we are because we do it. So is that really, that was going to lead to my next question, Antonia, is that one of the main challenges now with where tapestries are going and, the, and producing things and having that kind of autonomy to be able to know that you've got everything at your fingertips? Is that one of the main challenges facing the workshop now? 
you know, things not arriving on time and... Well, I, I, that's, that's, I think that's always a challenge, um, materials, but I think our main challenge is really uh, getting through COVID, um, as for all arts organisations, but also uh, training up the next generation of weavers. It's really important that our weavers, uh, our very experienced weavers, can pass on their skills to the next generation of weavers uh, because Monash no longer supplies... Uh, People that are trained in tapestry, we need to do that training and we need to ensure that we have that continuity really with our weaving talent. And we've, I must say we've got two fabulous, uh, fabulous people training with us now uh, that were funded through very generous scholarships by uh, Bailey and Sarah Meyer. And, and that's the, the Bailey and Sarah Meyer recognise the importance of that continuity of skills and so these, these two weavers are, um, well, ba uh, trainee weavers, um, uh, in the first, first year of their training with us, we lost a year because of COVID, of course, and uh, so now we, we hope to have them officially join the fold at the end of next year. Well, let's hope so. The, um, Antonio, what, um, when you're looking at tapestries, you know, for people who want to get more into tapestries and find out, uh, you know, even the value of tapestries, where do you start? Like, how do you start getting into that area and really doing more research? I mean, apart from going to the workshop, your workshop, you know, do you just go to galleries? Do you go to museums? Where in Australia would be a place that you would recommend that people start looking at? Because obviously well, you know, a lot of tapestries that you produce end up in private homes, but they also end up in major public buildings where should they go they uh so many institutions have their tapestries in uh storage still and this is partly because uh tapestry um ha had faded from um from public view and it's still in storage and now coming now slowly coming out again and i, I just to that extent i was in uh last time I was oh, a few years ago when I was in London I was at the Tate Modern and they had a magnificent big uh, three-dimensional Magdalena Abakanowitz uh, work out and it was on display and I thought well this is a magnificent work that was probably a 70s work and they'd brought it out and it was as contemporary as ever it was just so exciting to see that work up there so I thought, and then subsequently they had the magnificent Annie Alba's exhibition, which I was unable to get to see. So I think there's a recognition now of the value of those works. And I think more and more they're starting to come out. But uh, look, I think a lot, of, a lot of these institutions have them online. We have the magnificent Roger Kemp tapestries on display uh, in the Great Hall at the National Gallery in Victoria. Uh, we actually do a little tour, well, we did do a little tour before COVID, uh, where you could go and see a number of public tapestries around Melbourne. It was a little walking tour. Uh, so we will look at recommencing that uh, in the future. But uh, we are getting increasing tapestries on public display. In recent years, we've got a magnificent tapestry by Imance Tillers in the War Memorial in Canberra. Uh, a, a magnificent tapestry by Lyndall Brown and Charles Green for the new Sir John Monash Centre at Villa Bretonneur in France that was, that was hung uh, in 2018 at the end of the First World War celebrations. Uh, and 
well, a, a number of the key institutions have a number of our key works. There's a magnificent Utzon tapestry uh, in Sydney Opera House in the Utzon Room. For those people that haven't seen that, I really recommend they do because uh, Jorn Utzon designed that very specifically for that room. It's a magnificent room. He's totally taken into account the acoustic properties that tapestry offers and it, it's, it's a, an absolute joy to behold. So really we have got a list of all of a lot of these tapestries on a website so it's a good starting point for people but un, unfortunately there's a number of tapestries that aren't on display that should be. There's an, a beautiful series um, of Arthur Boyd tapestries, St Francis of Assisi, uh, that the National Gallery in Canberra holds, and I don't, I don't think they have ever been displayed um, in Toto, which is such a disappointment. They're very, very powerful works. Uh, Professor Margaret Mannion um, displayed a number of them at, at Melbourne University a number of years ago, and they were magnificent, but that was probably the most that have ever been on display. So that's a, that's a wonderful show for Nick Mitsovich to plan in future. Um, and Jenny, look, I think it's... You mentioned the word before, and I think you hit the nail on the head if you want an expression, but, you know, the sense of craft is really so strong now um, and it's probably been happening for the last five, ten years. So it's kind of lovely to see that even, you know, leading architects like John Wardle are in, and really, uh, you know, he's at the top of his field, are embracing that sense of hand and sense of craft like never before, which is really wonderful. So that has to kind of filter through to the younger practitioners who go, yeah, we will actually want tapestries in our places as well, you know. Oh, I think so. And this was one of the reasons why uh, we were so keen to embark on uh, the Tapestry Design Prize for Architects. Uh, the former chairman of my board, architect Peter Williams, had this wonderful inspiration and it took me a nanosecond to agree that we should try and uh, try and run this tapestry design prize, and it's been an it's been such a wonderful way of re-engaging architects with tapestry uh, in contemporary tapestry in contemporary spaces. It's it's really a marriage made in heaven, and and we've been so excited by the response that we've had from so many architects about this competition, and also we're so excited by the extraordinary responses. Uh, they design to the, the various sites that we give them to design to. So that's been exciting. That that, uh, and, that and that crossover between architecture and art, um, I think it was much more siloed um, a number of years ago. And these days people are working um, across different uh, media in a way that they weren't before, which is very exciting. So, for example, a few years ago we had... Uh, Ellie Giannini and Sue Buchanan, uh, both architects, but both with their own creative practices, working as artists in residence as part of our artists in residence program. So those kind of crossovers, I think, are, are really exciting. Yeah. And of they're, course... They're actually very into contemporary jewellery. I think they yes. were exhibiting yes. at the uh, Brisbane Gallery um, yes. very, very shortly. Look, I could talk on tapestries considerably longer, but I'm conscious of time. But, look, it's been wonderful speaking to you, Antonia, and um, well done on all the success with the reinvigoration of tapestries. And I look forward to seeing more and more of them as we move forward. You've been listening to Stephen Crafty. Talking Design is produced by RMIT University and brought to you in partnership with Melbourne City Council. 
If you'd like to stay up to date with all things Talking Design, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at talkingdesign underscore.